Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. No, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. The American people, I think, is good people. They are, they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Was a good kiss to her. Oh, yeah. No, the second. Welcome back, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. To uh, partisans and Chetniks, uh, <clears throat> Catholic fascists, uh, are there, as well as are there any other uh, kind? Well, yeah. The, the 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 Nazis were positive Christianity fascists. Mm. That's what they like to call themselves. That makes sense to me. Positive Christianity. Most of them were probably brought up as. Protestants, I guess, in Germany would have been some Catholics, but mostly Protestants, uh, yeah. basically Christian fascists, right? right. Uh, all around Christian I, fascists. I think the word we're looking for is enthusiastic uh, Christians. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, where we left uh, our last episode, Ray. Uh, this is episode one sixty four. For people keeping track, who give a shit about such bourgeois things <laughs> as numbering. Uh, what is this? The fucking library where you need to? Yeah. Is it the Dewey Decimal System uh, where we need to keep? We, we just Dewey, talk. We just talk. We just, Doesn't yeah, matter we what we're talking about. We what we're up to. Pour our hearts out to people. I think that's what brings in the numbers. <laughs> Are you good? How's life, right? Um, uh, how's life in Virginia? Honestly, it's been raining for six days in a row. We still have five more days to go, but I think it's keeping the rioters away. So, on the whole, pretty good. How about you? They burn hard to keep a torch burning. <laughs> really, when, the tiki uh, torches are, are struggling. Raining. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you have to you have to build a little little canopy for right. your torch. It's too much work. It's obviously not. Yeah. That's fireproof. You just right. want a canopy. <laughs> and you if, have to, if your canopy catches on fire, you have right. to build a canopy for the canopy. <laughs> and if you've ever seen the mob, they're kind of a, they just want to jump into it and go. That the whole pre-planning thing is not their strong suit. So I think they're just going to wait no, until the clouds no. part. I'm good too. Thanks for asking. I did. Um, uh, after a few last time when we were talking, uh, Tito yeah. and his partisans managed to survive several waves of massive Nazi invasions and attacks. Yeah. yeah. But barely, <laughs> only barely. There was but some still, wounded. Yeah, they managed. Yeah, th- yeah. There were some wounded, some dead, but they managed to get through it. Right. And then at the end of the last episode, we said the Italians surrendered, and the uh, the partisans and the Nazis bum rushed the Italian <laughs> positions to try and get their hands on their <laughs> weapons and gold and uh, right. Renaissance paintings and As you do. Uh, pasta. They're all yeah. oh, the pasta and the vino. <laughs> What's what makes a the few world days? Go yeah, within a few days of the Italian surrender, our old friend Winnie the Pooh uh-huh. sent two envoys—not one, but two no. <laughs> envoys—to Yugoslavia. One Brigadier Charles Armstrong, 
Nice name. Just a regular soldier. He's sent right. to Mahalovich, the leader right. of the Chetniks. The other, Brigadier Fitz Brigadier, 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 Brigadier. Brigadier. Yeah. They said like Brigadier. 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 Bring, bring, bring me a deer and a door. You never have enough doors in Yugoslavia. Brigadier Fitzroy McLean. Cool name. Who we've mentioned before because we've been using uh, a couple of his books as some of our source materials. Uh, he was sent by Winnie the Pooh, Churchill, yeah. to Tito as his envoy. Now, um, tell me everything you know about uh, Fitzroy McLean's background prior to being sent to Yugoslavia. So first off, I think it's important to, to point out that this is how far Tito has come. The British are actually sending the two missions, not just the one. So obviously his stock has gone up. We'll go into them more of that later. But yeah, this guy, McLean, Fitzroy McLean, I mean, this guy had a meteoric career. Um, he's leading the mission that's going to go to Tito. He was a former diplomat to the Soviet Union, spoke fluent Russian. He was a Tory member of the part of parliament, which is kind of weird that he's going to be sent to the partisans, but whatever. But his job is to go there, talk to Tito, find out his goals, his ambitions. And just to give you an idea, this McLean is not a pushover. He volunteered when the war started and through his intense machoism fighting in North Africa, he goes from a private to a brigadier in just a matter of years. So again, this guy is, is pre- he's a pretty tough customer. I don't think he's, I don't think he's just an empty suit and he's the one who is going to go and assess Tito for Churchill. Yeah, I, uh, this guy, Rambo. this guy, Fitzy, yeah. Fitz, uh, well, the brain. he was, uh, he was a Scotsman, first thing that you need to understand uh, about right. him. Um, according to Ian Fleming, Fitzy was one of the real life inspirations for James oh Bond. Oh my God, it wasn't just you and me. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and... In researching Fitzy, I noted that uh, some years ago, after he passed away, his private collection of first edition James Bond novels was sold at auction. Damn. Um, so how about that? You're the ba- you're one of the basis's yeah. basey basei. Let's go with that. Go, the basei right. of yeah <laughs> of James Bond. How many people he had can his say own that? collection of first editions? Exactly. Yeah. Well, just apart right. from us. Um, so yeah, as a young man, so he went to Eton, of course. as, as you uh, do. All, all good British yeah. boys do. James Bond went to Eton. Right. Uh, Boris Burned Johnson got uh, sexually molested <laughs> at Eton. You know, the, if you if you want, if you're a British upper class and you want your son right. to be sexually molested by the very best, that's the place. That's, you yeah. send yeah. them to Eton, and you pay for the privilege. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, you play. Hell, you don't want him to be just sexually molested by anyone. You get that anyone in a church, doing it. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, I don't have a lot of Catholics. You have to send them to Ireland. Good point. To get that done, or Good Scotland point. maybe. <laughs> um, well, he was Scottish, so yeah, it worked it out. Hard. After he graduated, he got he, he in 1934. He was posted to the British Embassy in Paris. And this is what I admire most about right. him at this stage. He, he got bored. In his book, Eastern Approaches, where he talks about this, uh, he said, you know, it's, it was just too easy. Yeah. Lunch in little Prisian cafes, uh, walking up and down the yeah. Champs-Élysées, going out every night, living the high life. 
And he was only in his early 20s and he was like, really? Uh, I can do more. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, I can do more than this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm meant for more than this easy I mean, life. I could do this for the rest of my life being a diplomat. Yeah. But uh, it's too easy. <laughs> too easy. So he got bored and asked to be transferred to Moscow. Right. Now, his argument at the time was... Here we go. We know nothing about Moscow. Right. Uh, we don't you know, like the the British, like the Americans at the time. I think America in thirty four right. had had established some diplomatic contact. I seem to recall that when FDR was elected, yeah, thirty three, he he yeah established some diplomatic relationship with the Soviet Union. But America and the UK before then had none because they saw them as dirty, dirty <laughs> communists. <laughs> Probably dirty Jew communists from the viewpoint of right. Churchill in particular. Right. Um, uh, but he said, well, here in Paris, the French are worried if the Germans attack this Hitler bloke. Right. It's making all sorts of bad noises. If the, if the Germans attack, will the Soviets come to the aid of the French? The French want to know. Nobody seems to know what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. So why don't you send me... And I will, I will report back. So eventually, in 1937, they said, "Yeah, all right, shut the fuck up, just go do it." He was 25. Yeah, just I got this. Just picked up his his top hat and his cane, <laughs> and uh, went to Moscow. Hello, right? Like by himself, no yeah. air cover or anything. There's no embassy there. He said, oh, "I'll just, you know, I'll just uh, set up a tent." In yeah. a garden and say this is the this is the British embassy. Chat him up. Um, yeah, he decided he could be more useful there. But you know, he wanted some adventure. Decided he could be more useful. Love that. Love that right. approach. <laughs> uh, his hero was T. E. Lawrence, and oh. um, you know Lawrence sort of offered to go to Faisal and to establish some sort of diplomatic contact. And I guess he just saw himself as Lawrence. I can Lawrence do of Moscow. Yeah, I can do this. He was like, I'm just going to go to Moscow, yeah? yeah? So he stayed there for two years. Now, what's interesting about this is he was not only there during Stalin's purges, he was actually present in the courtroom oh, during the trials of Bukharin and Yagoda and the other guys, sort of uh, 37, 38, and in his book, Eastern Approaches, he gives this wonderful blow-by-blow description of Bukharin's testimony. Right. And it's really incredible. Um, I know, you know, we've touched upon this briefly in earlier episodes, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but the way that he depicts it, um, uh, Vyshinsky, who we've talked about in recently, I think, too, mm-hmm. Vyshinsky, who was the lawyer that was in charge of the prosecution of Bukharin and these other supposed uh, uh, betrayers of the revolution. Right. Um, he, he called them in and most of them sort of confessed their guilt and uh, said, yes, we did it and bring it on. <laughs> Bukharin, though, according to McLean's uh, account, basically took control of the courtroom and said, oh, oh, look, I'm definitely guilty, but let me tell you what I'm guilty of. And then started to tear apart um, Stalin's uh, view of Russia. And we've talked about before how and some of these others were were against forced collectivisation and these sorts of things. So Bukharin actually gave this incredible testimony defending himself almost by criticising Stalin, which is not what Vyshinsky wanted. They didn't want any public yeah. criticism yeah. Shut up. of Stalin. So, that, yeah. so the case kept getting shut down and 
that you know, Bakaran would get uh, probably tortured all night and then they'd go back the next day and he'd do it all over again. Oh. And But eventually at the end he said, oh, but I'm guilty. I'm guilty of, uh, you know, not what you say I'm guilty of, um, right. but I, I'm guilty of uh, not agreeing with the direction Stalin's taking the country in. Anyway, got shot anyway. But it's yeah. a, terrific. If anyone's interested in reading a first-hand account of this, don't go past McLean because he's, he's British, he's sceptical of the trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike uh, we talked about the um, American guy. Was it was it not Chip Boland? Who was the American guy there at the um, time? Um, uh, anyway, the American guy who was there, God. he was the ambassador. He had his account of it. And uh, he's obviously criticised as being uh, pro-Stalin, I guess, in his account. McLean is sceptical of the whole thing, but it's hilarious. It's a really funny read. Anyway, war broke out in 1939. McLean couldn't join the military because he had this position as a diplomat. Um, He was second secretary in the foreign office at the time, so... He resigned from the diplomatic service. Damn. He said to go into politics, immediately took a taxi to the nearest recruiting office and enlisted as a private <laughs> in the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders. I bet you Named love after that. me, right. of, course. of course. Yeah. Um, thank you <laughs> to the Queen. For that. Uh, for that yeah. honour. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would have rejected it yeah. if she'd given me the option like John Lennon. T- but, taking cash. Uh, and T. Lawrence. Right. So... Did you know that T. Lawrence uh, rejected, declined an award that King George tried to present him with? I did not know, but what little I know about him, I'm not too surprised. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah. 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 After the war, King tried to give him an award. He went, listen, on behalf of my Arab friends, King Faisal, yeah. who I think you fucked up the ass. Yeah. no, I'm not accepting your award. Right. Anywho, that never got into the movie, surprisingly. Mm. Uh, anyway, he... he uh, he joined the Queen's Own Cameron Highlanders. Now, that, for the people who don't know my story, that is a line <laughs> infantry regiment right. of the British Army, first raised in 1793 wow. by Sir Alan Cameron right. of Clan Cameron at his own expense to fight the French. Yeah, that's how you do it. You raise your own fucking army with your money, like Pompey. That's how, that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's how I how I'm going to do it uh, when this when this podcasting takes off. This podcasting money finally kicks in. Raise my own private army. I'm going to need it to defend myself from the Christians. Um, he, Sir Alan Cameron, had fought in the American Revolutionary War, was captured, imprisoned for two years. Damn. Finally, so you know, I, like like Trump, I like my soldiers not captured. But right. anyway, he got captured. He. Uh, was sent back home, raised his own army to fight the French after the revolution, fought all through Napoleon's years until he was invalided out of the army in 1810. Badass. Famously eccentric, like all good Camerons, when someone apparently suggested at some stage that uh, that his troops should replace their kilts with trousers, he completely... Lost his shit for a major fit. <laughs> that sounds uh, right. But their tackle wobbly go, hey, I know it's my tackle. Yeah. <laughs> well, love a, love a bit of tackle. It. Yeah. 
swinging it around. Skiz! <laughs> yeah, we're sh- wibble our woolies around. Skiz the enemy. Big hairy woolly. <laughs> anyway, oh, Clan Cameron's lands, by the way, include Ben Nevis, which is the highest mountain in the British Isles. Yes, yeah, cool. So that's why they're hardcore Camerons, because they come from the, the chilly, chilly yeah. high mountaintops of Scotland. Crazy bastards. Anyway, back to McLean. Yes. So as you said, he was uh, he ended as a private, soon got promoted, commissioned in 1941, uh, also became the conservative MP for Lancaster. Damn, he's I probably busy. pronounced that l- Lanc- wrong Lancashire? like everyone. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that Lancaster's in Lancashire, oh, okay. I believe. See, but, I don't uh, know. It's probably pronounced Lochrich <laughs> because, uh, as we learnt with uh, that other one that begins with an L right. that I said in an earlier episode. Yeah. Uh, we were off. British pronunciations of town names have nothing to do with how they're spelled. The, basically, the rule in England right. yeah. is you can just make up any pronunciation you fucking want and say, well, that's just what it is. Yeah. Then he was in North Africa in 1942 where he was a member of the newly formed Special Air Service, the SAS. Oh, SAS. Sorry. Now, you're the world's leading World War II expert, mm-hmm. Ray. Nobody knows more about World War II than you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the founding of the SAS. Oh, there was another really tall guy who founded that. Is that the the they went behind German lines and destroyed a lot of supplies Wrecked communications. Um, they, they basically treated the desert like it was an ocean. They would hide out in the desert, uh, stay away from settlements and roads, go in, raid, kick ass. They caused Rommel no end of headaches with supplies and things like that. Just just badass, just taking the fight to the Germans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting note, they were originally called L Detachment, right. Special Air Service Brigade. The reason they were called L Detachment was to make the enemy think there was a bunch of paratrooper regiments, starting oh. with letters at least A through K, right. uh, out there as well. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact there was only one. It's clever. It's like uh, it's a clever form of right. psychological warfare. Oh, we got so many of these. Yeah. Um, they were the original Green Berets. They were. Conceived as a commando force to operate behind enemy lines in the North African campaign, as you said. And uh, how did their first mission go, right? Oh, God, I'm really trying to... If it was the one where they parachuted, on, a lot of people died, I'm trying to remember. It did not start out well because they were literally making this up as they went along. They had to learn how to live in the desert as well as get to certain points. So if I remember correctly, uh, maybe the words bloodbath, I'm not sure. It's been a long yeah. time. Yeah. First mission was a disaster. A third of them died or were captured. Yeah. So they tried again. That time, 80% of them died. <laughs> so they tried a third time. That time, all of them died. Oh, uh, on the fourth attempt, right. 20 more, 20% more troops than they actually sent were killed or captured. Jesus. Including a French giraffe, three mime artists, a midget called Felipe <laughs> Gutzman and Rudy Giuliani. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. It was disbanded after World War II, but then resurrected by the Artists' Rifles, Mm. an early punk band out of Haddock. Nice. Uh, Seriously, a a group of artists. There was this this, this regiment called the Artists' Rifles. It was a group of artists, painters, musicians, actors, mimes, architects, (laughs) 
They were like, oh, let's call ourselves the SAS. Imagine the uniforms we'll be able to wear. You know how good I, you know how good I look in a beret, darling. <laughs> so they just took up the name. They said, "Well, we will be the SA. We'll be the special S service now, oh my darlings." God. They just, they just took it over, yeah. and that is that is the SAS today. That's incredible. It came from a bunch of gay <laughs> actors in drag. Ooh, the beret, soldier boy. That's where the beret is, right. darling. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, as I said before, McLean was a big fan of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, big sort of fan of his style of fighting. And he was pretty good at it. Apparently, he supposedly invented a new way of driving on sand. Wow. uh, Where you just sort of, I don't know, you just slide like a snake on the sand. Like I do Um, on the dance floor. And he ended up... Right. No, please. He ended... He ended up reporting directly to Winnie the Pooh in Cairo. Who was impressed. Now, yeah. Winnie the Pooh, of course, was great friends with Lawrence. Right. Um, they both met after World War One when at, uh, I think, the Paris Peace Conference, where Churchill heard that Lawrence had declined the, uh, right. you know, the, the, the award, the, the title or the, the medal or whatever it was that... The king wanted to give him, and Churchill was incensed and and, and um, sort of uh, uh, abraded. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his face? Yeah, Lawrence. Right, Lawrence said, "That's that's that's uh, downright dastardly of you, sir." <laughs> I say, that's um, um, insulting mm-hmm. to the king and just wrong. Just wrong. I'm so <laughs> insulted. He was, I think, he was the Secretary of Defense or something at the time, Churchill. Um, but they ended up becoming friends, and I posted a photo on Facebook last night of them uh, both on camels uh, with a group oh, yeah. of people uh, at the front of the, the Sphinx and the, the, the pyramids. Right. And he ended up, he ended up uh, becoming very close to Lawrence, uh, made him his key advisor to dividing up uh, the Middle East, the oh, Sykes-Picot Agreement, right. et cetera, et cetera, and... Um, putting Faisal in charge of Iraq and all of those other disastrous things <laughs> that, we still that Churchill did to right. f- fuck up the Middle East. It was all on the advice of T.E. Lawrence, apparently. Jesus. Um, they both hated the Palestinians. They were able to bond over that. Wow. Um, so there you go, yeah. But they, they end up being good friends. So Churchill sees a, a young Lawrence right. in Fitzroy McLean. Um, in his book, McLean tells the story of how Churchill once asked him if he parachuted wearing a kilt <laughs> and, you know, how that works. Isn't that redundant? I would think that the, the kilt itself would just help you float down. I mean, I don't... Well, it's it's a secondary, oh, secondary parachute. Safety measure. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. 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 You have to pull your woolly to... <laughs> oh, I'm there. ...activate. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're going to gloss right over that. Yeah. Um, David Sterling, who was the founder of the SAS, you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier, wrote a letter of introduction for Fitzy once where he said of him, he has done well on our raids. Don't be taken in by his rather pompous manner or his slow way of speaking. He is okay. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. I don't know how you combine a pompous manner with a slow way of speaking. I'm not sure, but I like the sound of it. I like the cut of his jib. 
So later, uh, <laughs> after the, then he was transferred right. uh, to the Middle East as part of the Persia and Iraq command, mm-hmm. and he was given a platoon of Highlanders oh God. and told to go and kidnap General Zahedi, the commander of the Persian forces right. in the Isfahan area, which he did, captured him, Damn. smuggled him out by plane mm-hmm. to Palestine, where they had him in prison, um, searched Zahedi's bedroom, apparently, where McLean claims he found a collection of automatic weapons of German manufacture, a good deal of silk underwear, <laughs> some opium, an illustrated register of the prostitutes of Isfahan and <clears throat> correspondence from a local German agent. Typical typical hobbies. I don't see anything untoward. Uh, even the German armor, other guns, that's, that's, that's normal. When I, when I get arrested right. and they search my bedroom, <laughs> that's, you know, it's something you have to do. You have to have a little, right. somewhere in your house. Yeah, you got to have something. You have to have a stash. You got to have something for people to find right. when you die or get arrested. Just yeah, to, yeah. just to provide some color, really. Because, this is, you know, you, yeah, go ahead. You have go to ahead. you have to think up the ra- the weirdest <laughs> randomness list, most random list, right? Of weird shit <laughs> that you keep somewhere in the house, <laughs> buried, right, under concrete <laughs> in the backyard. Mine's they a, dig it up and they're like, "Yeah, what the fuck? What?" <laughs> so mine's under the floor. What are some things you would put in? Right. What were some things you'd put in your? Mm. Uh, you know, to be opened in the event of my death case. Oh, God. Um, I don't want to say anything sexual in case Heather hears. Um, just probably the standard midget porn. I, I don't know, because it makes me feel big. Um, just just of yourself? Photos of yourself <laughs> naked? Starring in my own movies. Uh, I wrote them. I directed mm, them. Uh, I, pl- I played all the parts. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what makes it. <laughs> hey, that was a lot of editing, my friend. Woo. Uh, Let me tell you, angles. It's all about angles. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I want to see that now. <laughs> I'll send you uh, a uh, the, 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 the capture of Zahedi led to Hitler withdrawing its support from Ooh. its sort of spy network in Persia. Right. But Zahedi, of course, is the guy who, 10 years later, the British and the Americans handpicked to replace the Iranian prime minister, Mossadegh, uh, in 1953 when they overthrew him, when wow. MI, MI6 right. and the CIA... Um, overthrew the democratically elected prime minister yeah. government of Iran to install uh, a, a dictatorship, and yeah. they um, put Zahedi, Jesus. who they'd ar- captured and arrested and found his pawn. <coughs> uh, You'll do. Yeah. 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 They, they had dirt on him, so they put him oh. in there. Well, I mean... Uh, you know, uh, we could always just show Mrs. Zahedi right. your uh, illustrated register of the <laughs> prostitutes of Isfahan and the silk underwear if you'd like. No? no? Okay. All right. Well, then shut up you're our new with... Prime Minister. Exactly. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations on the promotion. Yes. And it was after that that Churchill chose Fitzy McLean to go to Tito. Yeah. So 
if I may, he ends up, McLean is in country in Yugoslavia parachuting down September 18th, uh, 1943, just after, I think you said this earlier, when uh, not only does Mussolini uh, get fired from his job, but Italy surrenders. It's been almost two years since the first British officers had come to Yugoslavia, but then they were heading to the Chechnik headquarters in Serbia to help them out. So things have definitely changed. Tito is now in the running because the British recognize that he is a power in the land and he cannot, he will not be ignored. And you recall that uh, in the last episode, I think, we were talking about how Tito had done a deal with the Germans to fight the British. Right. But the Germans betrayed him, so now he's ready to fight the Germans again, as is Stalin. Right. But earlier in 1943, during the fourth and fifth German offensives, uh, Weiss and uh, Schwartz, White and Black. I think, yeah. Tito got word to the British that he was ready to talk. So this is before Fitzy yes. had come in. Churchill had sent in Major William Deacon, mm-hmm. who before the war had been his research assistant, like a secretary, basically, yeah. to Winnie. Yeah. Uh, when he was writing the history of the English-speaking peoples. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, and uh, Deacon did a good job with Tito. He fought with them against the Germans during one of these uh, attacks, even got wounded by the same shrapnel that wounded Tito. That's a bind. So they, they were shrapnel brothers <laughs> and uh, stayed friends until oh. Tito's death. Lifelong friends. Right. They could bond over their, their scars, their joint shrapnel wounds. Yeah. But um, yeah. Deacon, Deacon went on to become the Dean of Oxford. Not bad. Later in life. Not a bad gig if you can get it. Friend of, yeah. yeah, friend of Tito. Lifelong friend of Tito the Communist. Right. Was the Don of Oxford? That's not odd. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he was asked a lot of questions uh, over the years. But as you can imagine, Tito, not unlike Stalin, who's looking out for his country, not uh, not unlike Churchill, who's looking out for the British Empire. Hopefully, it's going to survive this war. But Tito is looking out for himself. He's u- looking out for Yugoslavia because he does have a vision for this for this country, even with all of its problems of of different cultures and religions and things like that. So. Tito was very wisely, you can't criticize him for this, he's playing the British off against the Germans, he's getting supplies from both, because at the end of the day, what this guy needs is supplies and arms so he can keep fighting. If he's got a, if he's got an army of some sort, he has to be dealt with. If he doesn't have troops, then he can be ignored by everybody, he knows this, so he's wisely getting both sides to try to outdo each other in helping him. Of course, Archie Brown, who I had on the show a little while ago... right. World's one of the world's experts on English ex, English speaking experts on communism uh, was also at Oxford. Nice. So I, I'm sure he and uh, Billy oh, D had a couple. Had, had a couple. A lot of great conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> um, so Churchill had a foot in each camp at this stage. He's got a guy with the Chetniks Smart. and a guy with the Partisans. Right. Eventually decided to throw his support behind Tito. Why, Ray? Well, according to some people, um, it was um, McLean's fault because he was the one who supposedly maybe fell under Tito's persuasive uh, charm, personality, what have you. Maybe maybe he was a fellow traveler. Maybe he uh, their their political um, ideology aligned, and so maybe he presented things to Churchill in a certain way. 
that had Churchill go with Tito. That's not what happens in the end, but we don't find out for many decades after the war. But there were those who accused him of, of strongly taking Tito's side and skewing Churchill towards him away from Drasna. Yeah, there was. this is apparently a topic of debate for decades, yeah. and we didn't know the full story until certain documents were declassified. Apparently, Churchill's decision to support Tito and the partisans, i.e. communists, mm-hmm. er? instead of Mihalovic and the Chetniks, right. i.e. royalists, was mostly influenced by ultra the decoding of the Enigma cipher broken in 1940 by nerds at Bletchley <laughs> Park in, led by Alan Turing, a.k.a. Sherlock Holmes, a.k.a. Doctor Strange. Right. The British were able to follow what was going on from the German perspective in Yugoslavia in real time. Wow. And they knew that by the end of October, the German general von Weichs told Hitler that Tito is our most dangerous enemy and that defeating the partisans was even more important than defeating an allied landing in Yugoslavia. Now, how does that not... I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I just want to ask real quick. Yeah, so just that alone, uh, because we know that there's like maybe fewer than a couple hundred people that know about Ultra, because basically the situation was if there was any chance you could be captured, you weren't allowed to know about Ultra. That's how hush-hush this was. In fact, a lot of times they couldn't even use what they found out because they didn't want the Germans to figure out what they knew. But but it's information like that. How does Churchill not think highly or more highly of Tito's abilities, no matter what he might think about the man personally, versus Mikhailovich. So again, this is just making Tito look good because Churchill can read the German mail and they are completely freaking out over what Tito is doing in former Yugoslavia. I mean, it just sells him. It just sells him without him even trying. Well, look, the best form of marketing is word of mouth. (laughs) And uh, when it's... When it's your enemies <laughs> it's even, talking about how dangerous you are, yeah. that's probably the, the highest the highest it, kind it of marketing in a war situation. <laughs> exactly. So it takes us decades uh, to find out that McLean, for all of his maybe internal feelings about this or whatever he said to Churchill, at, at the end of the day, he's not really the one who's who's creating or who's who's um, I guess steering history. It's ultra. But we don't know that for decades later. In fact, Churchill was smart enough to make it look like the messages he was getting from the two British missions in Yugoslavia, he was making it look like that information is what was steering him more towards Tito. So he played his game so well, like you just said a minute ago. This this argument, if you will, has been going on for decades and it's been a very uh, politicized and a very intense debates over the years because everybody's blaming McLean, everybody's blaming Churchill for what happens to Yugoslavia because for the, well, at least the ones who don't like Tito and communism. Churchill knew more about the military situation in <laughs> Yugoslavia than Tito did. Jesus. <laughs> but as you said, he sent missions to both the partisans and the Chetniks to make it look like he was using the reports of his envoy, his envoys, yeah. his embassy, his, his, his whatever, Missions. his outreach there right. to make his decision. Yeah. yeah. But really, he was reading the German mail. <laughs> now, As yeah, sorry. Clever, clever shit. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, well, Churchill has many flaws, but he knows how to play the game. He's been around for decades, so 
He knows what he's doing. You can disagree with his policies, but the guy is a masterful actor, and it obviously worked. Well, yeah, but, I mean, let's not assume that this was... Churchill's idea, either. I mean, right. Churchill's surrounded by a group of group of group of very capable yes. officers. He had to sell it, though. Um, yeah, but you're right. The the performance in France, none the you know aside. <laughs> um, so you know uh, they <clears throat> they uh, this might have been somebody else's idea. Well, let's not give Churchill too much credit. Right now, by the time Maclean parachuted with his kilt uh, <coughs> into Bosnia. Tito had made his headquarters at a place called Yatsi, Yatsa, or Yatsi. Let's just go. Which Yatsi? Yeah. Right. Well, that's actually where the where the name of the dice game Yatsi comes from, right? Um, I did not know because Yatsa in Yugos in in Croatian or Slavic dialect right. literally means uh, small eggs. Often uh, is the popular parlance for testicles. <laughs> And that's what the dice look like when you play Yahtzee. They look like small square testicles. And square testicles, I know, are your favourite kind. Yeah, how could they not be? Trying to bang yours into a square (laughs) shape for for years. Yeah, it's dedication, Um, my friend. You have those those little square moulds that you sit them in at night to hope that they will... (laughs) Um, Because it just feels good in the hand, (laughs) square things. Strangely (laughs) enough... Putting them in a square-shaped mold is not the most painful. It's when you take a pen and you try to draw the... After you've shaved them, of course, obviously. <laughs> when you draw the little circle or the dots, okay, this is a one, yeah. this over here is a two. That is actually... That takes a long time. And then you got to blow it dry. Say it's when, yeah. when, you, when you roll them down the craps table <laughs> to see if you get a seven. I go to Vegas That's... and I take off my pants. What are you doing? I'm about to roll some dice. <laughs> Sir, put your pants on. Yeah, you turn to a pretty lady beside you. Would you like to blow on them for good luck? And scene. <laughs> so he's in Yahtzee. Right. Now, this this town had been important in medieval Bosnia, oh. and it had a Bogomil church, <clears throat> an underground Bogomil church next to the castle on the hillside. Remember, we talked about the Bogomils. I think it was in our Renaissance show, yeah. right? Bring me up. Was it that? No, it was... No, it was early in this show when we were talking about the religious oh, that's right. background yes. of uh, Yugoslavia, I think. Yeah. Is there anything we need to remember Named about up. the Bogomils? I'm trying to remember. Well, they were, you know, one of these um, heretical Christian breakaway sects. Uh, they didn't use the cross. <gasps> they didn't build right. churches. Crazy. They were kind of Gnostics. Not very good businessmen. Um, Not raking in the cash. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they they sort of uh, yeah. got themselves in a lot of trouble with the, the, the traditional Christians. Yeah. Sort of... Uh, sort of the pre-runners, I think, of the Albigensians and the Cathars... Yeah. That we have talked about in the, um, Renaissance. the Renaissance show. So yeah. basically, one night someone said, Hey, I got an idea. Let's not do all the flash and the bang, and do you mind if I don't? Let's just set up a system where we help the people, the poor, get food and shelter. Let's just focus on bringing the word of God the way, you know, old school Jesus. Let's just help the people and let's be poor ourselves. I imagine something like that, yeah. and then the Catholics had to go, oh, something no, like that. no, 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 you're making us look bad and shut that shit down, yeah. or at least went after them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So anyway, there's an underground Bogomil church uh, next to a castle on the hillside, and uh, that's where Tito made his home. Like, he's in a cave. Better be. Now, on his first evening there, McLean was invited to Dino, Dino, Dino with Tina, Dino, <laughs> Dinner with Tito. That's where I was, right? I was going for. Yeah. Here's, a, here's his description of Tito. This is his first impression of Tito. He was sturdily built <clears throat> with iron grey hair. His rather wide, smooth-skinned face with its high cheekbones oh, yeah. showed clearly enough the stresses and strains he had endured. His regular, clearly defined features were haggard and drawn and deeply burned by the sun. His mouth was ruthlessly determined. Yeah, His alert, light blue eyes missed nothing. He gave an impression of great strength held in reserve, the impression of a tiger ready to spring. As he spoke, his expression changed frequently and rapidly, in turn illumined by a sudden smile, transfigured with anger or enlivened by a quick look of understanding. He had an agreeable voice, capable of sudden harshness. And then Maclean quotes Napoleon, in war it is not men but the man who counts. Oh, nice. And this is coming from McLean, who was one of the bases for James Bond. So he's a pretty tough character himself. He takes a look at Tito, sums him up, pretty impressed with what he sees. And he probably realizes why the partisans are doing as well as they are, because they've got this guy in charge. Yeah. Now, McLean and Tito both spoke Russian. So, you know, they were able to <clears throat> chat freely. Yeah. They spent a few days getting to know each other. McLean said the British wanted to help the partisans. Tito said, good. And then Tito started complaining about Stalin's recognition of the Chetniks and how he'd been reproached for his exchange of prisoner program Ooh, with the Germans. Right. Obviously didn't go all the way and say, and actually I was trying to convince the Germans that I was going to fight the British, maybe looking to see if McLean knew more than he claimed, which he may or may not have based on the... He probably didn't. I don't think he was getting the ultra-translations. Right. Churchill might have known about all of that. Right. Um, McLean asked if the new Yugoslavia would eventually become part of the USSR, a Soviet-run yes. country. Tito snapped and said the partisans had not fought and suffered to hand over the country to someone else. Ooh. I mean, yeah, he's right. You don't fight and kill the Germans and the Italians just to give it to the Russians. I mean, that's that's bullshit. And you've got to think that, I mean, that's why McLean is there. Yes, I'm going to figure out what you need. I'm going to get your supplies eventually. But basically, I'm here to do a very detailed study of you so I can take that back to uh, to Churchill because he needs to know what he's getting into. So they, you just imagine these two guys who are, in some ways, very, have very powerful personalities just sizing each other up. And, and yet during their conversations, they're, they're almost playing a verbal chess with each other, moving around, seeing what the other person's capable of. But Tito is sticking to his guns. Look, I'm not going to give this to, um, I'm not going to give this to Stalin. And as far as King Peter, that's a no start issue for me. And to be honest, Tito says to him, I think he's probably hoping this is true more than anything else. He goes, you know, I don't, the British say they want King Peter back on the throne, but I don't think they're really w willing to push it too far. So hopefully that's not going to be an issue. But that's his kind of more subtle way of saying, 
Peter is not coming back. There, there's no way that's going to happen. And he expects that message to get back to Churchill. Hey, listen, I just I wanted to take oh. a break for a second and play a bit of an interview with Fitzroy McLean. Hmm, much later in life, obviously, but have a listen to a bit of this so you get a sense for this guy. He is Sir Fitzroy McLean. And you were recently described as the supreme example of the soldier, politician, scholar, diplomat, raconteur, and man of many books, yes? And including your new book, which is um, Holy Russia. Now, you were listening to them, and you've told me already that you know the book, The Riddle of the Sun. Do you think that your life is like the kind of fiction of spies that we've just been listening to? Well, I personally always kept as clear of anything to do with spying as I possibly could. I mean, sometimes I've come near to it. I've encountered spies, I've encountered spy masters, but I've never been a spy myself. Now, that disappoints me, because I looked up your... You probably don't believe it. I don't believe you. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you what clues that I found out about you in Who's Who, right? And I'm going to put them to you to see if you can prove to me you were not a spy. Mm-hmm. Right. Who's who? That's That was uh, Wikipedia in the mid-20th century for the kids out there. <laughs> you worked behind the enemy lines with the Yugoslav partisans in 1943. Right, so as, what... a, as a soldier. Ah, as a soldier. And as Winston Churchill's personal representative, and he wouldn't want to spy, would he, for his personal representative? I see. Well, what a shame, because now I thought, you see, that you were working behind the enemy lines as, a, as, a, as an espionage. No, I was watching the Germans. I mean, the Germans would have certainly have shot me if they could have caught me, but they fortunately didn't. But uh, I was on the best of terms with President Tito, with Marshal Tito, as he then was. Hmm. Oh, well, I so thought I that wasn't if, the, if the Germans him. had caught you, see, I was hoping you were going to say, no, they would not have captured me as a, as a soldier, they'd have captured me as a spy. I'm wrong about that. Well, I mean, I'd never asked them. <laughs> but um, uh, I hope they would have regarded me as a soldier. I was in uniform the whole time. Yes, right. I was very careful about that. Well, then, let me try and do one more question about it. 1942, you were in the SAS. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Now, isn't that, wasn't that something to do with... Espionage? No, not no? at all. No, the SAS were not uh, even intelligence gathering. Mm. The SAS were purely operational. We were out to, to blow things up, uh, to uh, shoot places up and so on, but, mm. but not to, to spy. Mm -hmm. That was done by other people. Well, then there was one other intriguing statement made about you which also convinced me of something strange, right? And that is that you had travelled in parts of Russia forbidden to foreigners. So now, how, do, how did you get to those parts? I took a railway <laughs> ticket. Oh, I see. Oh, dear. <laughs> and uh, the Russians didn't, in fact, stop me. Mm -hmm. Which, for reasons which they could probably explain with than I can. Mm -hmm. They may have been spying on me. They may have thought I was a spy, like you evidently do, <laughs> and thought I might lead them to a nest of spies. But that didn't work out. Well, I've always wanted to meet a no, spy. No, I was just a traveller. Right. Um, Bonafide traveller. And, of course, you've been a traveller since, and you've written your book, Holy Russia, because, really, would it be exaggerated to say that you're in love with Russia? Well, I'm fascinated by Russia, which may be the same thing, mm. do you think? Could if you're be. fascinated by mm. somebody, you're well on the way to being in love with them. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I won't play anymore, but I really British. like this guy. <laughs> very British. He, he's yeah. very... Uh, 
<laughs> well, Scottish. Well, he's Scottish, but yeah, he's. I was uh, just going to say, I'm I'm sorry, with all due respect to him, but Fight Club yeah. and Spies have the same first rule: you never talk about it, you never admit it. I mean, I mean, come on, he's supposed to go there <laughs> and somehow above board, honestly, whatever, gather information to give to Churchill, and it's not spying. I think he's splitting hairs, but I'm sure he saw himself as a soldier. But there's political aspects to his job as well well i think He's spying just is when you're yeah. you're doing it in secret you're trying to yeah he was yeah. out in the open i mean tito knew who he was so and, and what his job was right. there was nothing secret he wasn't trying to do anything sneaky spying is you know <laughs> sneaky stuff so that's actually on their business cards if you're a spy james, it says sneaky james bond. bond yeah sneaky yeah. stuff guy anyway <clears throat> that's a little 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 bit of him. Um, it's obvious from just hearing him talk yeah. then that fond of Tito, fond of Russia, um, f- fascinating character. So after several days of chatting, Mac- this is McLean's uh, summary of Tito. He was unusually ready to discuss any question on its merits and to take a decision there and then without reference to a higher authority. There were other unexpected things about him. His surprising breadth Mm. of outlook, his apparent independence of mind, his never-failing sense of humour, his unashamed delight in the minor pleasures of life, a natural diffidence in human relationships, giving way to a natural friendliness and conviviality, a violent temper flaring up in sudden rages, an occasional tendency to ostentation and display, a considerateness and generosity which constantly manifested themselves in a dozen small ways, a surprising readiness to see both sides of a question, and finally, a strong, instinctive national pride. So... I don't know, man. That's a, it's a you know pretty right. pretty decent uh, guy he's depicting there. He obviously had a lot of respect. And not only that, but obviously, if, if even half of those items that you just listed are true, then obviously he's going to be a very effective leader um, for his cause. So so good for him. So so was there a mutual respect? Absolutely. And I think I I, I think you're right. I think you fell for the guys for Tito's charm, but I'm sure. Tito did, to a degree, lay on the charm offensive. I mean, that's what you do. But I think that's a fair assessment of Tito, who seems to be someone who's truly dedicated to the cause. Sure, he has flaws, but it seems like those are minimized for the bigger picture. And, uh, I mean, they stayed friends for a lifetime, too. I think McLean ended up retiring to Yugoslavia. Got himself a little property there. when, when When foreigners weren't allowed... To have property in Yugoslavia, yeah. <laughs> an exception was made for him. Yeah. So, but here's uh, the thing, yeah. and, and I won't go too far because I know we're getting close to the end. So McLean is there for six weeks for his first mission. He's between Yahtzee and the Dalmatian coast. He's going all over where the partisans can take them. He sees a lot of what's going on. And when he's done with this trip, he goes back and as he's expected to, he makes a report to Churchill and the, uh, the, the chief of staff on November 6, 1943. And what he has to say causes a lot of excitement in London. Yeah. He says, look, uh, the partisans control huge parts of Yugoslavia. He claimed that Tito's forces comprised of 26 divisions, 220,000 men. 
He said that in the areas that were run by the partisans, there was freedom of religion, no interference with private property, no class Damn. warfare, and no mass execution. Now, that <laughs> doesn't sound like communism no. to me, Ray. Communism uh, gets rid of religion, gets yeah. rid of private property. It's all about class warfare and quite often involves just, mass right. execution of the uh, bourgeoisie, um, you know, why do you think Tito was doing it a little bit differently? Well, you could be cynical and just say, look, this is still the the early stages of the movement. He's trying to get everybody on his side. He's going to come down hard once he's in absolute power. You could easily say that. But at the same time, and we've said this again and again, Tito knows Yugoslavia. He knows all the differences, the religions, the nationalities. He knows all of that. I think personally, this is his way of trying to bring about the best government he can, considering the convoluted, complex, deeply personal hatred that these different groups have for each other. He's like, if I treat everybody decently, maybe they'll all, you know, to a degree, either accept me or come to me. I think he's, as a politician, he he's doing exactly what he needs to do to get the biggest number of people on his side away from the Croats, away from the Muslims and everybody else and and not support the Germans and the Italians. I think he's being a masterful politician. Whether he means it or not is irrelevant because at the end of the day, you have to judge someone by their actions and not just their thoughts, ideas, or what they write in their diary. He's doing a good job and the people are responding to that. No, you don't want to see what I write about you in my diary. (laughs) Well, quit sending me pictures. God. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, you you start rolling out communism, uh, the the socialist step towards communism, when you're in control of a society, you're trying to make things better. Yeah. um, In the middle of a civil war and, you know, a a civil war and a war against foreign invaders is not the time to be (laughs) trying to reorganise society. (laughs) It's a secondary problem. Now... McLean in his report said that Tito wanted a federalist system mm-hmm. to solve what he called the nationalities problem. Yeah. Which we'll get into a little bit later on. Um, mm-hmm. But he also said that McLean in his report that the Chechniks weren't worth worrying about. The partisans were 10 or 20 times as numerous, infinitely better organized, better equipped, and better disciplined. Yes. And they actually fought the Germans, where where the Chetniks, as we've talked about before, either help the Germans or do nothing, in (laughs) McLean's words. A little unfair to the Chetniks, and he probably overreported the number of partisans in Serbia, although they're probably right in other parts of the country. Right. But, of course, this report sort of didn't go down well with members uh, of the the British military command. I mean, a lot of them wanted to see King Peter back on the throne and, you know, knew that looked like Tito wasn't going to support that, whereas Mihalovic would. Yeah. This is sort of the the glowing testimony that McLean gave about Tito and the partisans is part of the reason, as we said before, that he copped a lot of blame for decades for, you know, sort of... Yeah building up Tito so the British would support him. 
But as we now know, they were actually supporting him because the Germans were terrified of him. If, if I could real quick, the, another part of this report, because let's break it down into, like you were saying just a second ago, issues that I have to deal with now, and we're talking about Churchill, issues Churchill has to deal with now and, and issues that can wait until later. The report also said that Tito and his partisans were causing so much trouble, they were actually pinning down about 14 German divisions who were running around looking for this guy. And not only that, but there were also additional German, Croatian, and Bulgarian troops who were who were also searching in different parts of the country. So there's a lot of Axis soldiers that could be out fighting the Russians, keeping the Russians back for a little bit longer, because obviously Churchill and FDR need uh, Stalin to do the bulk of the fighting. So so. Tito, through his actions, is helping the Allies in a big way. And yes, so the whole thing with King Peter is probably not going to happen. But at the end of the day, Churchill is hearing that this guy is doing a a great job, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But he seems to be tying down the Germans. And Churchill can only offer or can only do so much because he's the smallest of the big three. But still, when when you have someone who by themselves is, is holding down entire German divisions, this is someone you're going to back. You don't have to love him. You don't have to like him. And you can worry about future prospects later. But for right now, during the war, this is the guy you back. And to go a little bit further, like what you were saying a second ago, there were a lot of people in the foreign office in London who were conservatives, and they wanted King Peter back on the throne, and they wanted Mikhailovich, just like you said. But there were a lot in the military that wanted to support Tito because he was he seemed to be getting the job done. We can worry about politics later, but right now we have a war to win. That's what a lot of the officers were focused on. Get this guy weapons because he seems to be doing something. Yeah, and where McLean in his report guessed that Tito was holding down 14 German divisions, ultra actually mm. disclosed that they were holding down 30 divisions. <laughs> Makes them look good. So, yeah. Yeah, Germans, Croatian and Bulgarian. So, yeah, like McLean's under-reporting what they're right. actually doing. They're doing twice as well, well there's a, as McLean's actually saying. Well, like you said a couple of minutes ago, Churchill had a better idea of what was going on in the Balkans <clears throat> than Tito. Tito may not even know that he's holding down 30 German, Croatian, Bulgarian uh, divisions. He, like you say, because Churchill's got a better idea. So I don't think Tito's underselling himself. I just don't think, because he's in a cave half the time, he doesn't see the wider picture. But Churchill does. I, I, I applaud you, sir. You are a trendsetter. What? Nailed it. curtain has descended across the continent. What's up, motherfucker?